The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, Disability Law Show, we are back and ready to go for it. We hope you are as well. Thank you so much for tuning in for this uh, this hour. Martin Willems is your guy. You want to reach Martin and his team at the firm anytime to uh, simply have a conversation. That's the way it all starts. See if there's something for you that they can help you with. If not, that's fine. It was uh, good to meet somebody. If not, Martin will take care of you in that regard anytime. The number one eight five five eight two one. 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca or simply mydisabilityquestions.com. That's another website you can use. It's anonymous. It's free. It's got a searchable database. So maybe a question similar to yours has been asked and answered in the past. Use the information. Shut down your browser. Nobody knows you were there. If not, leave your question there. And Martin's got a team that answer those. Again, mydisabilityquestions.com. Feel free to use those. Emails coming up here in a bit, but uh, the main topic as we uh, kick off here, Martin, is going to be frequently asked questions, FAQs about critical illness claims. Number one, what is a critical illness? What is critical illness insurance, by the way, pal? Okay, yeah, thanks for that. So critical illness is a insurance product that you can get either through your employment, in other words, a benefit like long-term disability, extended health, dental, accidental death and dismemberment, all those are different types of insurance coverage that you could get. So some employers will have a comprehensive benefit plan which will include critical illness coverage. And for others it may be that they are self-employed or they're professionals like doctors, lawyers, etc. And they may apply to insurance companies for critical illness coverage. <laughs> what is that? So. This is one of the newer products in the market. Newer meaning that's decades old, but it's, it's compared to other uh, coverages, it's one of the new ones. And it originated in South Africa. And the reason for this becoming about was there was, I, th- I believe it was a doctor who noticed that there was an, a gap in the market where self-employed people would get critically ill and would not have any financial means to assist them with number one, their household, expenses and two quite often medical expenses that may not be covered through extended health so there was this gap recognized in the marketplace and it it is a coverage that pays you a big sum of money or if it is a one that you've got through a individual policy group policies normally would be lower depending on how good a group policy that you have but it pays you a sum of money and it sometimes is also related to a mortgage. So some people oh. may be able to purchase critical illness insurance and when they get ill, meaning that they qualify for the critical illness, then it is related to the mortgage and it may pay off portion or all of the mortgage. Nice. So it is a very valuable product to have. But as with many with long-term disability, we do see these denied as well. And we'll get into why these things are denied. Mm-hmm. But again, critical illness, listen to the, the description of it. It is coverage when you have a critical illness that pays you a one-time lump sum of money. So to someone just listening to this, they're going to think, okay, well, is, is, is there a difference then between critical illness and LTD? Because they both have to do with my physical health. So where does that difference lie? You know, this is a good question and something that comes up regularly because some people through their employer, if, like I said before, it's a comprehensive benefit package, they will have both long-term disability, short-term disability, 
and critical illness coverage. So the difference between critical illness and disability coverage in the sense of long-term or short-term, critical illness is a one-time lump sum payment. Oh, okay. So if you made the claim because you have a critical illness and it is approved, the insurance company will pay to you a one-time payment, be it $50,000, $200,000, $10,000. Like I said before, with group policies, the amount probably is a bit lower. With individual policies, you could apply for, I mean, I'm not sure how high these things go, but it can, I'm sure, go up to 500000 or even higher than that. Um, so it's a one-time payment, whereas long-term disability benefits is a monthly benefit, and you need to continue to prove that you are entitled to that benefit. So that's more a wage replacement product where you get to receive a monthly benefit to assist you with your um, your daily expenses, I suppose, um, and you need to continue to qualify for it. Critical illness covers only certain illnesses. It's not everything, right? So they are, it's critical. It has to be a critical illness. That illness needs to be defined in the policy. Whereas long-term disability, it's not sub, it's not conditional on a particular type of illness. Long-term disability is more so about you have to prove that you have functional impairment because of an illness, not a specific one. It just has to be an illness or an injury or a condition that impairs you from functioning. In other words, that prevents you from performing the duties of your own occupation. Right. Whereas critical illness is not conditional on you being disabled. Although, again, you would imagine that somebody who has been diagnosed with a critical illness would, be. would become disabled, but sure. it's not conditional on that. Okay. Um, Long-term disability is not limited to one claim per policy. What that means is if you went out and you purchased a critical illness coverage, in other yeah. words, a policy, and you made a claim and it was paid out, the coverage probably ends because most of them will allow for one payment during the lifetime of the coverage. And it probably would be the same thing with um, group coverage as well. So there are some significant differences between the two of them. Uh, there's another one. Critical illness, as I said, is generally limited to the one claim, whereas LTD would carry on to the age of 65 in, in theory if you continue to prove that you remain disabled on an ongoing basis to the age of 65. So critical illness, is they're both based on contract, but it right. is if you have this condition and it's a defined critical illness in the policy, the insurance company will make a one-time payment to you. Again, guys, reaching out to Martin anytime for more of this uh, this information and LTD information as well. That's what we cover generally every week on the show. No problem. one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. Now, with the critical illness you did mention, uh, you know, depending on the illness, what's covered under that uh, particular policy, some examples that, that you have seen, what would be under, what would be considered critical illness under a policy? You know, they're going to, I think it has expanded over the years by including more illnesses, which one would expect, or sicknesses. Yeah. Um, the main ones would be cancer. Of course, it's not any cancer. It's dependent on the type of cancer that you have. Okay. Multiple sclerosis, but not all of them qualify. It needs to be within the contractual definition. ALS, um, which is the Ludwig Gehrig's disease. Yes. Heart attack and stroke. Stroke, but yeah. 
you can imagine just me saying these illnesses when you listen to them obviously they all sound very serious and they are and again that goes back to the basis and the reason for having this coverage because if you are diagnosed with one of these conditions chances are that you're going to be taken out of the workplace and you may need to pay for extra expenses like many people try different types of cancer treatments where the extended health may not pay for it or they have to go outside of the country sometimes so critical illness provides the theory behind it is that it provides coverage so that you have finances in your hand money in your hand to be able to take care of your your treatment and still manage your household affairs not to sound cynical about insurance companies but would there be reasons for ci critical illness to get denied because i can't see them just opening up their wallet and say yep no problem take it all you know, you know I, mean? <laughs> I do know what you mean no. and over the years i've seen various denials um the, the first one which is a quite often the most common one is it's not a covered illness uh -huh. so if somebody comes to me and they say i have cancer i applied for a critical illness benefit under a policy that i had purchased but the insurance company denied my claim there may be various reasons why but quite and the denial letter should set out why it was denied so if i say cancer you think yes it's serious but the cancer quite often is defined in a particular way in the policy it may need to be life-threatening it may have to be diagnosed at a certain period of time so it is all so so particular to the definitions in the policy like multiple sclerosis again it needs to be defined in a particular it is defined in a particular way and the facts of your particular circumstance how it was diagnosed what image you have um, how was it recognized? Was there clinical observations? Was it seen on MRIs? Were, you, were there lesions in the spine and the brain? It really depends on the contractual definition. So I've seen many cases denied because the insurance company would say this particular diagnosis does not fit within our contractual definition. Another one would be pre-existing conditions. So what that means is you may have had a condition that was diagnosed before you got your coverage and then you make a claim for that particular illness uh, and it may not be that it was diagnosed it may have been that you were seeing a doctor for the symptoms of it but again it is entirely fact driven right we need to see why it was denied what the facts were just because an insurance company says it's not a covered illness or it's a pre-existing condition we can still look at that because there are arguments to be made that the insurance company's decision was actually incorrect. There's also, sorry, I know. We no, no, go. no, go ahead. Go okay. ahead. There's also something called misrepresentation regarding uh -huh. your health history. So when you apply, so it's not through a group coverage, it's individual coverage. You apply to the insurance company to have this coverage. You have to disclose what your medical history is. And if you apply for a critical illness after your coverage is in place, then it depends on how long it was in place, the insurance company may say, well, you were not honest or you may have been negligent with respect to the way you completed the medical questionnaire regarding your medical history therefore if they had known what your medical history was they would not have underwritten your policy in other words approved your coverage so we see a lot of that and again there are lots of ways to attack those denials but it is fact-driven and we would want to see the definition the definition of critical illness the medical history that they say they would have not accepted to issue the coverage and the reason why the claim was denied ultimately. 
And with that, we will take that uh, that short break. Get back to lots more, including critical illness and long-term disability, and your emails as well. You can always send them along, say hello, and get some answers, right? one 821 5900 is how we do that. And email is help at disabilityrights.ca. We continue. This is the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And we are back. This is a disability law show every week. Glad you've tuned in. If you sent along an email uh, sometime in the previous week, it might appear in the next half hour, 45 minutes or so. If not, keep them coming. They uh, get answered by Martin and his team for sure. It is help at disabilityrights.ca. And to call after the show anytime, one 821 5900 Always encouraged to have that lengthier private conversation on your own if it's a matter you want to discuss with or Martin or a member of his team. We're talking about long-term disability again this week. We're going to get into those emails very shortly, but we kind of opened up talking about critical illness insurance. It's a good one, and it's something more people should explore. And again, this week, educating people on the uh, on the finer points, Martin, what can I do when my critical illness claim is denied? Because you know, before the break, we talked about reasons for possible denial, right? What do you do next? You know, because these critical illness denials are so fact-driven, and it's all based on contractual interpretation, it is crucial that you have somebody who works with this type of law and who works with these claims on a regular basis to assist you with a review of your situation. So my message there is contact one of our lawyers. You know, we work throughout Canada other than Quebec. We handle long-term disability, critical illness, life insurance, short-term disability. We also do some motor vehicle accident claims. It really is important to speak to somebody who knows how to manage these cases and very importantly, who knows to how assess these cases. Mm-hmm. So when a claim is denied, it may be because it was because of a pre-existing condition. Like I was saying before, one of the reasons why they get denied. Timelines are crucial. So if pre-existing is the reason, we want to look at the contract to see what time period the insurance company is looking at to say that you may have had some treatment for this disabling condition, or sorry, for this critical illness, where we may say, well, that treatment was not in relation to the critical illness. So there are arguments to be made. Nothing is ever really black or white. There's always gray. And there's arguments to be made. And we may be, once we've looked at it, we will give you our assessment of whether we think that you have a claim to pursue. And we often do give that assessment. There's also claims, like I said, when there's a misrepresentation, that it depends on how long you've had the coverage. Because if it has been in place for more than two years, Misrepresentation really has to go back to being a fraudulent misrepresentation, which I know these are legal terms, but it is a much more difficult thing for the insurance company to prove if your critical illness coverage had been in place for more than two years and then you make the claim. When the insurance companies say it is not a covered illness, we always speak about having your doctors on board when we speak about long-term disability cases. Critical illness, even more so. If the insurance company says, you have cancer, we recognize that, but that is not a covered critical illness in our policy. This is where we look at what the definition of cancer is in the critical illness policy. We look at your facts. We take the denial letter and you approach your doctor because the doctor is the medical person. And the doctor can look at that definition, look at your actual facts, 
and then writes a supportive letter as to why the insurance company is not correct in their denial and why it is that your diagnosis of your cancer being a critical illness fits within the contractual language of cancer. So I'm just using that as an example, but I've seen many cases where there is a back and forth as to is this critical illness or is it not? And you will not know whether you have an arguable case if you don't reach out to one of us to assess it, speak to you about your options, and then you can make an informed decision as to how you proceed further. Re remember, this is a very difficult time when somebody makes a claim for critical illness because they've been diagnosed with a very serious illness. Yeah. Facing that denial is stressful. People don't always think straight because they are so stressed because of their diagnosis. They may have family members, they have children, wives, husbands. It is a very difficult thing to manage. So you need somebody on your side to manage this, at least look at the claim, assess it, and give you an informed opinion, because that will go a long way to help you decide how to deal with it. Reach out by that phone call as well, one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. As mentioned earlier, want to get into some email now that has been uh, been coming through over the last little while. Martin, first one. Let's uh, let's first give the address out again. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Uh, email says, Martin, my wife has been diagnosed with MS. She has a private critical illness policy. She submitted a claim to the insurer and it was denied. Both of us were very surprised by this denial as we understood that MS is covered as a critical illness. Why would they deny that claim? Well, this is a very opportune question considering what exactly. we just discussed. Yeah. Um, I've seen this before, this specific scenario that a person comes to me with an MS diagnosis and they made a claim for critical illness under a policy. In this case, it is a private critical illness policy. So I would imagine that the amount of money we're speaking about is significant to this couple. And they made the claim. Yep. The insurance company said this, is, this critical illness is not covered under the policy. In other words, this MS diagnosis is not a critical illness as is defined in the policy. MS, in other words, multiple sclerosis, is defined in a particular way. So... If there is a diagnosis, we want to look at what does the contract say, like I said before. And I've seen cases where they may say there needs to be two different MRIs over a period of time to see whether there are lesions and whether there may have been progression. It really is fact-dependent, but I would really suggest to this couple, reach out to us, so, um, so make a phone call. We can assess it with you. We can look at the policy and the medical records because I've, not me, alone, lawyers in my firm have successfully resolved this particular fact scenario with insurance companies so don't be don't feel overwhelmed which is an easy thing to do don't feel threatened don't lose hope yeah. because the insurance company made this denial we can assist you but you need to reach out to us so we can have a look at your circumstances Next email goes like this. Guys, I'm receiving LTD benefits and my employer is terminating my employment. I've seen the documents the employer wants me to sign and it includes a waiver of claims for any disability benefits through the group insurance company. I'm concerned that this will affect my current claim. What do I do? Well, you know, luckily uh, at our firm we also handle employment matters throughout Canada other than Quebec. So what you want to do 
is have us look, speak to one of the employment lawyers, because I've seen this before as well. A person may be on long-term disability or may have made a claim for long-term disability benefits. Meanwhile, the insurance, the employer is terminating the person's employment. They may reach an agreement and then they want them to sign a document called a release. And you want to make sure that in that document, you provide that the current long-term disability claim that you have or may have is excluded from what you are releasing. In other words, that your severance settlement does not include any claims that you may have against an insurance company. And that can be done. Um, it can easily be done through having a lawyer who knows how to deal with employment matters, negotiate such a term in your, um, in your release or in your settlement with the other side, meaning the employer. But in that context, it's good because there's an overlap between what we do as disability lawyers and what others do as employment lawyers. And in our firm, we have the benefit of both. So we communicate with each other quite often on these particular issues, and we can assist with this one. Yeah, kind of uh, what Martin was saying there, there was a lot of overlap, a lot of interplay between employment and uh, disability quite often. So I uh, got you handled no problem in this uh, particular arena. With Martin's firm, you can always reach out, one 821 5900 help at disabilityrights.ca. I think we got time for another email before we get to uh, get to a break. Uh, let's roll down to this one. Guys, if you have a uh, three-year own occupation and you have received a letter in the mail from insurer one year prior to the change of definition that they have looked at my case and my benefits will continue past the change of definition. Can I assume my case, it's a mental health issue, has been deemed serious by insurer and their internal doctor has signed off on it? My psychiatrist, psychologist, and GP were not asked to provide any medical updates prior to the letter from the insurer. I've been accepted for CPPD, uh, Canada Pension Disability as well, and the uh, Disability Tax Credit. Can I assume, based on the approval passed of definition one, uh, definition one year in advance, that I may only have to submit the annual yearly update going forward? After my CPP, uh, CPPD approval, my updates change to a brief every six-month update. Thank you. Why is that happening, Martin? I find this a very interesting question, you know, because I... In, in all the years that I've been doing claims, handling long-term disability cases, I would say it's never safe to assume anything. But making a decision on a mental health case a year in advance and then approving it beyond what is called the change of definition, in other words, the insurance company has accepted a year in advance that this person cannot work in any other occupation. So it really would be interesting to see what the actual facts are here. Um, because the condition clearly must be significant. I always hear from insurance companies that mental health is treatable. Uh, you cannot say how long it is going to carry on for. So it is a bit surprising. Um, I'm happy for this person that the insurance company has made this decision, um, but I'm reluctant to say that they can assume anything that the insurance company will leave them alone and just request yearly updates. Um, I've seen cases where a person was on claim for 10 years, 12 years, or even 18 years, if you can believe that. Wow. And then the insurance company just did a runabout turn. A new case manager came onto the scene, looked at the case, and then denied it. So not to scare anyone here, but um, that can happen. Of course, the hope is that it doesn't happen and that this person will continue to remain on claim with not a lot of intrusion from the insurance company into their life and their treatment. But if that were to happen, of course, reach out to us and we can assess the situation with you. 
You got the email, of course, that is help at disabilityrights.ca, but the phone number one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. 855 Up next, another email. Again, send them along. If they don't appear on this show, they'll appear on a future show possibly, and if not, they get taken care of regardless behind the scenes. Martin, uh, I'll get to this one quickly. Martin, I've had chronic headaches for over two years. I took sick leave last year for four months. I uh, had been getting better, but missed a lot of work since then, and my condition is now getting worse. There are many days when it's debilitating and I cannot function. Do I have a chance at LTD? I had applied for critical illness benefits through our group insurance and was denied. I have documentation and notes from my doctors as well. You know, another opportune question considering the topic of the day was critical illness. And and this just shows you that there's this confusion with those people who have group coverage. They know that they've got critical illness. They know they've got um, long-term disability. So this person made an application for critical illness. It was denied and now even questioning whether LTD would be approved or whether they should even submit a claim. Yes, you most definitely must submit a claim because there is a significant difference. The chronic headaches would not qualify as a critical illness under this policy. Clearly, that's why it was denied. But do the critical illness disable, sorry, do the chronic headaches disable you from performing your duties? Surely sounds like it because it says there are many days when it is so debilitating that this person cannot function and mm-hmm. they then ask do they have a, a chance at LTD. The assessment for long-term disability is you must have an illness or a condition that prevents you from engaging or performing the duties of your the essential duties of your occupation. So if that is the case here, and if it sounds like they have the doctor's support and the medical evidence to support that, most definitely there is a claim to pursue. And my my advice would be do that as soon as possible because you don't want to miss any deadlines. If the doctor is suggesting that you cease work, follow the doctor's advice. Do submit a claim for long-term disability benefits. And if the claim were to be denied, please reach out to us. But I would, I would strongly encourage you to apply because, yes, I've seen lots of cases where people do have chronic headaches, migraine headaches, tension-type headaches, or other headaches, cluster headaches, yep. where they did submit a claim for, for benefits because they were so debilitated that they could not work. Guys, we'll take a short break. Get to more of your emails in the uh, last few minutes of the show. So uh, bring them on and make that phone call when the hour's done. Get a hold of Martin and his team. Have that chat. 1-855-821-5900. Help at disabilityrights.ca. We'll continue more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Yeah, we're back. Disability Law Show. Good times. Thanks for uh, listening to the show. Uh, this time round, you can always reach out when we're done. Don't ever, uh, don't ever think you can. One eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Help at disabilityrights.ca. That's the email address. Another one here says, Martin, I love the show. Question for you: I had major surgery, and my doctors advised I take two more months off to heal. My long-term disability said because I am not fully disabled, I don't qualify anymore, and said they were ending my claim. I know I'm unable to go back to work at full capacity. Does disability have to offer a back-to-work gradual program, or can they just cut me off? Interesting question, considering that there was major surgery, uh, and the doctor said it's going to take two months to heal. We don't know where things go, because I see lots of cases where people do have surgery. There's an expectation that the person is going to recover to the extent that they can go back to work. But 
Only time will tell. So it's too early, I would say, for this insurance company to simply cut him off, him or her off. Um, does the insurance company have to offer a back-to-work graduate? Sometimes they do. They don't have to do anything from their perspective. They're looking at, is this person disabled? Do they continue to be disabled? And if the surgery was done and it was successful, and that what is required is two or three months to heal, the insurance company may very likely say, well, we're going to pay you those three months out, and we're going to then deny the claim because the evidence that we see supports that you are going to recover to the extent that you can go back to work. Now, this person says, I know I am unable to go back to work at full capacity. I'm not sure if that means on a you know, a, a short period of time frame to recover further or if this is an ongoing thing. If it is just to allow further recovery, I can see that the insurance company may have to offer a rehab program or a gradual return to work program. As I said before, they may just say we're going to pay you out two months. But if it turns out that this person cannot go back to work on a full-time basis, there still may be a claim there because we would want to see how what the capacity is Many insurance policies have what is called rehab provisions, rehabilitation provisions, which will allow the person to try to get back to work on a gradual basis, slowly increasing their hours as their function may improve. And all along, while that is happening, the insurance company should be paying the person their benefit or maybe even topping it up, considering the, the employment income that they may make. But if it is a situation where they do go back to work and they plateau, in other words, that their function doesn't improve further after some time, and this is the maximum that they can do. So, for example, the person was working 40 hours a week, now is only able to work 15 hours a week, or, and maybe up pushing it up to 20, they likely still will remain disabled within the meaning of the policy, at least during their own occupation period. So there should be a consideration of whether rehab provision should come into place, where the person should be paid a top-up by the insurance company. I've seen lots of these cases, and frankly, we see more of these cases, these cases these days where people do try to get back to work. They have limited capacity, and the insurance company may say, well, we think that you're going to get back to work sooner deny them in advance or where they get denied because they don't continue to improve don't think just because you've gone back to work that your claim should end it depends on how much you're working what it is that you're doing and what your functional capacity is so if you do work and they then deny you because you have not continued to improve reach out to us even if it is at the change of definition because with the change of definition when you have to be considered totally disabled from working in any occupation there still is something called a commensurate wage which yeah. means that you have to be able to earn a certain amount of money in your gradual return to work which has now plateaued or in this new occupation that you're doing in order to be found not totally disabled i'll use an example if you were working like i said before earning maybe $5,000 a month and you've gone back to work now in a job that pays you $2,000 a month because you simply cannot work more to earn more. That is your full capacity. The $2,000 may not be enough to take you out of disability in the any occupation phase. So it is really dependent on how much you can earn, what your restrictions and limitations are, and whether you're able to work in a different occupation. 
in that email, the term again, you know, totally, fully disabled, totally disabled, that still confuses people. Break it down again if they missed it. You know, that's, uh, I'm glad you raised that because it's such a good c question. Fully disabled. If I said I'm fully disabled to a layperson or anybody on the street, they're going to think, okay, well, then probably you're bedridden. You mm -hmm. cannot feed yourself. You cannot dress yourself. And you know what? Even in the medical sphere, some doctors see it that way. Right. We're speaking about a contract. And it's not fully disabled, it's totally disabled, but it sounds the same thing. It's all particular to your job, your occupation, really. It's not, can you feed yourself, can you dress yourself? It is, can you perform the essential duties of your occupation? We've spoken about this so many times. Savon, my other partner who speaks about this, would say this is a confusing term generated yes. by insurance companies because it, it confuses people. It makes us think that I have to be so, so disabled that I cannot leave the house, that I cannot get out of bed in order to get benefits, which is not the case. You have to look at what that contract says. And that contract provides that, and it's basically the same with all of them. It's particular to your capacity to work. Of course, things that you do outside of work do come into consideration. Like if you were to do banking, or if you were to drive around when you say you've got a bad back, those are factors that get considered whether you are totally disabled from the mean of the policy. But do not for one moment think that you need to be fully disabled in your activities of daily living to qualify for benefits under a disability policy. That is not the case. Love the breakdown. Let's take a quick break and finish up with a couple more emails. In the meantime, here's the email address to use anytime, not just for this hour, help at disabilityrights.ca. You have the option of the phone number, one 821 5900 And for short, quick, easy-to-digest notations, information about the LTD topic, it's not written in legalese. It's layman's terms. That's how it was, deni uh, how it was deni uh, designed, ltdfaq.ca. We'll take a short break and back with more of the Disability Law Show. Hang on. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Welcome back, Disability Law Show. Yeah, we're good to go. A few minutes to go. Thank you so much for all your correspondence. If we don't get to all your email today, we'll save it for a future show. But keep sending them along to Martin. He's got a team that reads them and responds to them. It's help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number you can use as well. You want to have that conversation on your own or behalf of a uh, friend, colleague, family member who wants some information, always encouraged to call for sure. one 821 5900 Next email goes like this. Martin, um, in my return to work meeting from, uh, from LTD, my employer surprised me with a new job description with no supervisory role, which I previously had, and no unit slash team that I had when I went on leave. Employer is basically telling me to take the role or else. Feels like a constructive dismissal. What do you think? Well, I, I tend to agree with that. Having said that, um, I don't deal with employment law. But again, like I said before, like we said before, this is the venue to approach us because we do have employment lawyers at our firm. We'd definitely jump on this and be able to give you an opinion as to what your rights are. If I look at this with respect to the disability angle, it says, in my return to work meeting from LTD, my employer surprised me with a new job description and new duties. So we would want to know, what are we speaking about? Is this during the own occupation period uh, with this new job that they say you may be able to do? 
pay you a certain amount of money. We would want to know a bit more details whether you actually should not continue to be receiving LTD benefits. Doesn't sound like it from what I'm hearing here or what I'm th thinking this person is suggesting, but if it is purely a constructive dismissal claim, reach out to our firm, ask to speak to get a consultation with one of our employment lawyers. And there you go. Let's uh, let's move on down to a, and another one. It says, guys, guys, I was diagnosed with osteoarthritis in both knees and lower back, as well as COPD. I've been off since August 2022 on long-term disability. The insurer tells me that the files they see are of a mild diagnosis, and they are sending me to an eight-week rehab program, and I'm expected to return to work shortly after that. My knees and back are in incredible pain despite the mild diagnosis. Anything I can do? Uh, yes. So... Ex being expected to return to work before the eight-week program has even started. What does that say to you? I mean, you haven't. Th this person hasn't gone through that eight-week program. We don't know how they're going to respond. This person is saying that, he, that they're in significant pain because of their back and their knee. Quite often we see this where an insurance company will have one of their own in-house doctors review the clinical records not examine the person, not see the person, not even speak to the person, not contact their treatment providers, yet will make a decision as to, we think this is what is appropriate. We're going to put you through a rehab program, and at the end of it, we expect you will go back to work. We don't know how that rehab program is going to turn out. We don't know whether that rehab program is even um, recommended or whether it is appropriate. What should have happened here is, the insurance company should have reached out to this person's treatment team, doctors, treating doctors, who will have the benefit of having assessed this person over a period of time, and they will be in an informed position to give an opinion as to whether this RIA program, the suggested RIA program, is appropriate. Because I've seen cases where people have felt forced to engage in these treatment programs and their condition ultimately worsened, yet they were still denied. Of course, we got in, involved in those cases and got our clients what they deserved, a yeah. proper compensation. But it makes me angry when I listen to these questions. When somebody is struggling, the insurance company must say, oh, we think you've got a mild diagnosis. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that the person is not in pain. You quite often have people who have significant pain but objectively, when you look at the medical imaging, it may not support why they are in so much pain. It doesn't mean that they're not in pain, though. Pain is subjective. I, I recognize that. But not every pain, everybody's pain levels are the same. Going back to this question, there's also COPD. I don't know which is a lung issue, right? It, yes. it affects yep. your your energy levels, you have significant fatigue. We don't know what this person's occupation is. If it's labor intensive, how is a rehab program going to help here? Right? We don't know how advanced the COPD is. So I don't like what I'm hearing here, and I think that there definitely is something to do. The first thing is get your doctor on board. Go speak to the doctor. Is the rehab program appropriate? If the doctor agrees, fine. You may consider in, um, doing that rehab program. If the doctor disagrees, then have your doctor put that in writing and tell the insurance company why it is not appropriate. Is it going to worsen the condition? Is the person already participating in their own rehab program, right? Some of these conditions are progressive, so it may just get worse over time regardless of what you do. You may slow it down, but is it going to get better? Quite often not. COPD is one of them. 
So we want to know what the actual facts are. And if the insurance company insists on you participating in this program in contradiction to what your doctors would say, or if the insurance company denied your claim before or after you engaged in this rehab program, and you and your doctor still say that you are unable to work, that you're still disabled within the meaning of the policy, please contact us because we will be able to assist you with this. Quick, uh, quick email here, and they're listening for sure. It says, uh, Martin, I claimed critical illness from one company while I was on severance pay. Can I now claim critical illness from my new company? Well, okay, so that's an interesting question. Obviously, we want to know a few more facts here. If it is the same critical illness, so say you worked with company A um, in January of 2022, you made a claim for critical illness, and then you go work with company B in February of 2022, and it's the same illness, I don't see how you would be able to do that, regardless of whether it is under a different policy, because one would think that it is a pre-existing condition. The policy will have certain provisions dealing with that. But I would want to see the actual fact pattern. What is it that we're talking about? Are these two different critical illnesses? Because then, yes, probably you should be able to do that. But it doesn't sound like it. Remember what I also said, critical illness generally is just paid out once in the lifetime of a policy. Now, we're speaking about two different policies. So if you did go to a different employer and they have critical illness there as well, if it's the same illness, I would be surprised if you would be able to submit another claim. This one really quick, see if you get this one done in two minutes, says, guys, I'm on LTD. However, I'm unable to return to my employer. My doctor has agreed with me. My question, if my doctor tells the insurer I cannot return, can they cut me off LTD while I search for a new job? If they cannot cut me off, how long do I have to find new employment that is equivalent to the pay I was receiving while working? Okay, so... It's not a question of how long benefits continue. It is a question of are you disabled within the meaning of the policy or not. If you cannot go back to your own employer, I'm not sure what the time frame here is. Is it you're still in the own occupation period? You're just going to go back to your same employer? Then the insurance company may deny your claim because the consideration is are you disabled from your own occupation, not your job? If it is at the change of definition, the insurance company doesn't have to wait for you to go find another job. They're making an assessment as to are you able to work in another occupation? And if you are, they're going to deny your claim regardless of whether you're taking your time to find a new one. So we would want to know, are you disabled from working? Is it within your own occupation or another occupation? And if they did deny you, like I say with everyone, reach out to us so we can assess what your circumstances are, what the policy says, what the denial is, and what your doctor supports. And if there's a claim to pursue, we will assist you with it. And with that, we are done. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for all your input on email. You can continue the conversation with help at disabilityrights.ca. And the phone number as we close off, one 821 We'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. Thanks for listening. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus and Entertainment.